Hey there, just a quick heads up before we dive into today's episode. This recording is part of a series of live shows that we put on at Inbound. We'll be releasing these recordings over the next month. Last week, we had Alec Baldwin on the show to talk about SNL, impersonations, and being a dad. If you haven't listened to that one yet, go check it out. This week, we have writer and comedian Sarah Cooper on the show. Sarah is the creator of The Cooper Review, a satirical blog that tackles the absurdities of working in an office. I'm Kip Bodner, and this is The Gross Show. Sarah, welcome to the comfiest chairs in the world. Thank you. Very nice. I know. I want this to come home with me. Uh, <laughs> thanks for hanging out and chatting with us for Thank a few you. minutes. So you're a writer now. Mm-hmm. You write. Mm-hmm. Was that write. the master plan, though? Yes. Like, you know, when you were younger, what did you aspire to be? When there? I was little, I wanted to be an actress. <laughs> nice. I, I, I thought everyone wanted to be an actress. I thought that was just like a default thing, but apparently it was just me. Um, I think it's many people. Yeah, it is many people, yeah, yeah. but I was the only one in my family that wanted to be an actress. <laughs> um, I just liked hemming it up, and I was kind of the person in the family that if there was any yeah. tension, I'd be the one to say something funny and kind of relieve the tension, get, get everyone liking each other again and stuff. Sure. So I think I just always enjoyed that role, and uh, yeah, so I, I wanted to be an actress. Yeah, so you, you were working in the corporate world, mm-hmm. had a good gig, and then you had a day where you were like, okay, well, actually, I want to go write some stuff. I had been writing and doing stand-up comedy for years, yeah. and I wrote an article that did really, really well, which gave me the confidence and inspiration to kind of do it full-time. What was that journey like from when you started to get there? Like, what did you learn? What transpired? Like, why um, was that successful, basically? I had tried a bunch of different things. I'd started so many blogs over the years. Mm-hmm. Like, my first blog was thedirtydirty.com, which I still own. Sweet, uh, sweet domain name. Yeah, I thought so, but my parents were not happy with that name. <laughs> <laughs> um, my dad was like, Sarah, this is not what an upstanding young lady should be. <laughs> and I'm like, Dad, it's referring to Atlanta, because I lived in Atlanta at the oh, time. Nice. I'm like, the dirty, dirty South, it's a cool thing. And no, he just didn't get just it. Still wasn't it in still the wasn't there. But, so I started doing that, and then coworkers would read it, and I'd get embarrassed. So then I tried writing anonymously, but then that wasn't fun either. And then I'd go back to writing. I mean, it's just on and on, like trying things, quitting, trying things, quitting. I found stand-up comedy because my acting career wasn't going that well, and I thought if I could get on a stage and tell a story and be myself in front of an audience that maybe it would help my acting, it would help mm-hmm. me kind of relax and be a better actress. But then I found that I really liked writing my own lines. Mm-hmm. And so that's what got me into writing comedy. And I took sketch writing and I took improv. And I think the last thing I started before this one was uh, oolalove.com, which was like a parody of women's magazines mm-hmm. like Cosmo. It's like, will he cheat on you a sixth time? Take the quiz, <laughs> stuff like that. And quit that just because I wasn't really feeling it anymore. So I think the reason why this one did so well is because I was just writing what I was experiencing every day. You know, this article was about meetings and I was in meetings all day. And it's like cliche advice, write what you know. Yeah. But sometimes you don't know what you know. <laughs> you don't know the thing that, that people are really going to relate to. Sometimes you have to just try a bunch of things before you realize what that is. You wrote this article about meetings mm-hmm. and took off and, and really resonated, I think, with the readership. And it seems like basically over that period of time, you evolved into this like satirical style of writing and observation and then satirical storytelling. So like, tell us how to do satire. So... 
you start with an observation, like I observed my coworkers doing these little things that just sort of made them look smart. It just made them look like they knew what they were doing when they probably didn't really know what they were doing. <laughs> things like, the very first one is draw a Venn diagram. Um, <laughs> because I saw someone draw a Venn diagram that made no sense. And yet people were like, oh, that's interesting. And like, oh, maybe make this circle bigger and this one smaller and like change the labels. And you know, you just, that person just went back to the desk and started <laughs> working on their laptop. And I was like, oh, that, that was a pretty cool trick. Um, <laughs> But then you, you put a twist on it, you know? So the name of the article is 10 Tricks to Appear Smart in Meetings, and it's told in the form of advice. It's an observation of things that people do, but then it's like, oh, this is what you should do. But it's not what you should do. You actually shouldn't do this. Yeah. And so I think the key with satire is that it's sort of the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's just looking at it from the opposite direction. And so that's why people often take satire seriously is because it's told with a straight face a lot of the time. And so I think that's the key, is like an observation that's kind of turned on its head, sort of. Yeah. So teach us all how to be better observers of people. For me, if I sit down at my laptop and just stare at a blank screen and I'm like, okay, I'm going to write the most amazing thing right now, it never happens. That's not where the magic happens. Mm -hmm. The magic happens for me when I'm out taking a walk or at dinner or doing the dishes or something else, and I'm just thinking about how I really feel about something or I'm observing something, somebody doing something. Like uh, I'd notice at work, I would say definitely, like someone would be like, will you do this? And I'd be like, definitely. And then I'd be like, I actually meant no. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wrote a whole meme about like what definitely really means. Rarely probably does it actually Rarely mean. Rarely <laughs> does it mean definitely. So things like that, just observing yourself and just being like, oh, that's weird. I said that, but I didn't mean that. And how can I turn that into an observation that maybe other people can relate to? So it's really just about making those observations while you're going about your, your daily life. And I kind of write them down on my phone or write them down in a notebook so that when I sit down to write something, I'm not starting on a blank screen. I'm looking back at all those ideas. I'm seeing what's exciting to me or interesting to me and kind of starting from there instead. It also seems like you need to give yourself that space to like have your brain kind of down to kind of have those observations and yeah, think about how you want to put them together. Yeah, and it's really hard to be like, okay, I'm going to make observations now. Of course. It's much easier to be like, I'm not going to try to make observations. I'm just yeah. going to do something else and, and then see what happens. Yeah. How do you keep it going? How do you imagine there, in your mind there's some frequency you would like to write things? Mm -hmm. you, you just said, just like, oh, you just can't force it. So like, how do you reconcile those two things? If you keep writing things down all the time, mm -hmm. you should have a huge, like I have, I don't know, 18 Google Docs with like all this stuff in it. And so hopefully over a large enough span of time, you'll have enough stuff to kind of draw from. Like the problem is, for me, I'm not in the corporate world anymore. I left Google a few years ago. And so that's a little difficult because I'm not drawing from my real life experience, everyday experience yeah. anymore. That I kind of feel like I'm reaching a little bit and I kind of want to maybe start talking about other things. And so your experiences are evolving, so your observations are changing in yeah. some ways. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like the beautiful thing about what I'm doing now and what I hope is that my work can evolve as I evolve. So as my life changes, I can write about different things. And I think that's the beautiful thing about stand-up comedy too, or one-man shows, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like I just saw John Leguizamo's one-man show, and he's been doing this for a really long time. And his old shows were about one thing, and his new shows are about his kids and his family. His life has changed, his work changes, mm -hmm. and he gets to do work that reflects who he is at that time. And so that's what I hope I can do. How do you expect it to change? Or like, 
I don't know. And how I've do you know when it's it. going to change? Yeah, I've really struggled with this because my audience expects something from me. If I put something out there that's re related to email or meetings or work, it, it does pretty well. If I do something related to my husband or just kind of a random idea, like it doesn't do as well. And so I'm not really sure. I've experimented with maybe starting a new thing, like a new site mm -hmm. or a new identity. I've experimented with just like throwing it out there anyway and just seeing yeah. what happens. I'm not sure. I think that hopefully I have enough of my audience is a fan of me as, as well as the work and so that mm -hmm. they'll stick with me, but I'll probably lose people and that is probably just what's going to happen. How do you reconcile measuring your success versus expressing and telling a story that you just want to tell? Because a lot mm -hmm. of businesses, a lot of marketers listen to this show and I imagine they have stories that they want to tell about their business that might not reconcile with like the results they want to achieve. So like, how do you yeah. balance those two things? I want my content to do well. I What does that mean, to do well? I want people to see it. I want people to share it. I want people to talk about it. I want to get emails that, of people saying, hey, this really resonated with mm -hmm. me. I love that. I think it's validating for me to get that. I think that's the difference between just being like sort of an artist and just making something. You don't care how people interpret it. You don't care if people buy it. You don't care what people say about it versus doing something where like you, you want people to talk about it and you want you know, to do well. I started a private Facebook group of just like my friends and family to test my ideas before I pursue them further. And I throw things out there like, oh gosh, that's probably not appropriate. No, no, um, no, 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 you can't, you can't tease it. You gotta, you have so, to share. Yeah, I, I was like, I wrote this whole post like how to come up with the perfect name for your penis. And... <laughs> Guaranteed to go viral. Guaranteed. <laughs> no one liked it. So could I just still put it out there? Who cares? Whatever. I'm just mm -hmm. going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah I could, but uh, I, don't, I don't really want to. I want to yeah. put out stuff that people are going to really identify with. What's interesting, though, like the whole concept, and I think that's kind of replicable for people listening, is that, that test group yeah. of, of folks. And so how does it actually work? How many people are in there? Just in case somebody was like, oh, well, I want yeah, to do that thing. I just, uh, yeah, I put on Facebook, I was like, if anybody wants to like get early access to my <laughs> you know, content, let me know. And so it's about 100 people. I, I think there's probably only about 30 people who are really engaged yeah. with it. And it's such a good indicator of how something's going to do. Really? Even at that small of a scale? It really is. I'll put something out there and if nobody likes it there, no one will like it anywhere else. Like if I put, oh, I'm trying to come up with the best excuses to get out of work, let me know. And people are like commenting like crazy. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, this is something people actually want to talk about. It's also like getting over the hump of sharing something. Because sometimes for me, especially like I'm working on something and I'm so scared to share it because I'm scared of that judgment and I'm scared mm -hmm. of the critique. I need it, but I'm also scared of it. and so. To be able to put it out there with a, a lot less fear of failure because it's mm -hmm. just my friends and family who are want to help me and are not going to troll and are going to give me good advice. As soon as I do it, I already am like, oh, this is wrong. Oh, this doesn't make mm -hmm. sense. Like as soon as you share it, it's almost like you don't even need them to say it because you can see it from their perspective. And so I think what, it's just a changes? great tool. What changes? Like what is... What happens that makes you have those realizations? You know, it's like the, <laughs> it's like the thing like you're singing in the shower and you're like, oh my God, I sound so good, you know? And you're just like, I am Adele right now. And then you hear, and then you hear a recording of it and you're like, no, you know, that does not, no. And uh, I think that you're able to, when you see it in a feed and other people are commenting on it, something changes. You're like, oh, I can see it now from their perspective. I can see it from that third eye, mm -hmm. why it might get misinterpreted or why it might not be funny. It's just like something, a joke you have in your head and you think it's hysterical. You have to, 
it might not be funny to other people. You just have to <laughs> accept that. It's <laughs> fair. Yeah. You, everybody has their own humor and, and everything because of it. Yeah. So what do most people, individuals or businesses get wrong when it comes to like creating content? What, are they, what mistakes are they making these days? What I've seen is that they seem to be talking to each other more than they're talking to actual people and mm -hmm. customers and just like regular people. Sure. You know, the things you take for granted. I, I was on a phone call last week and I asked if what they were working on was more for brand awareness or, or to actually sell something. Or, and they said, oh no, this is very top of funnel. And I was like, what? <laughs> like I'd never heard that before. And they refer to top of funnel as like tofu. Has everybody heard this? See, I've we never kind of propagated it. It's kind <laughs> like, of what does that it's, mean? It's, you, you can thank us. We kind yeah, of, well, we, uh, sorry, we could propagate. It's hysterical. That. It's hysterical. So I think those little like terms that people use are the inside. Like you, you think it, everybody relates, but no, we, we, a lot of us don't talk like that and don't have access to that vocabulary and don't, you know. So I think a lot of times I'll see content that just. I could see how another business would understand it and get it and be like, oh, this is awesome. But I don't see how pe regular people would get it. Maybe, maybe there's just like a translation problem where that happens. Yeah, I've always kind of thought of it as like, what's the available audience for this thing? What you're talking about, the words you're using, who will actually like understand it and yeah. get it? Yeah. And I think that's the argument you're making is that business is right for far too narrow of an art, an audience. Is that what you think? Or maybe they're just, the audience isn't clear. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what you're saying. It's just not really clear who they're speaking to. That's interesting. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Don't apologize. Yeah. That's how to be non-threatening. You apologize for everything you say and everything you do. I'm sorry. Awesome. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's, that's good non-threatening advice. Yeah. Aren't I way more likable now that I apologize for everything? <laughs> Obviously, right? Okay, so to finish us up here this afternoon, when you think about humor, Really, like, tell us how to be funny. Like, I'm not funny. Like, we're not funny. Like, give us some tips for the average person listening today. Like, how can you I just be a little hysterical. funny? I think you're hysterical. First key is also to say you're not whatever you're trying to be, right? Right, right. Yeah, no, that's one good thing. Actually, no, the opposite of that. Sometimes you'll, you'll say something and you're like, wait, that's a joke. No one's laughing. Don't ever say, hey, laugh. Don't ever <laughs> tell people to laugh at something because that's... It never works. It doesn't make people feel good. It makes you look like you're not funny when you are, feel like you have to say something like that. So that's one thing. But I think it's really just about being really present with people and just take the pressure off of yourself to say clever things. It's not about being clever. It's just about saying like exactly and responding to exactly what's happening. For me, like my favorite comedians are the ones who like can get on stage and if something's happening, you hear a loud sound or someone is talking or whatever, they respond to it. They don't ignore it. They respond to it in a realistic human way. And, and it's just, just them acknowledging things is, is often really funny. So don't feel like you have to be clever. I mean, I think that people, when they're like, oh, I don't know how to be funny, I think they set this really like crazy high bar for themselves or something that is not necessary. It's really just about being yourself and reacting to people as honestly as you can. That's awesome advice. Thanks for hanging out with us Thank for a few you. minutes. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Next week, we have another great conversation queued up. We're chatting with Laura Ricciardi and Maura Dimas, the creators of the Netflix hit series, Making a Murderer. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast to get that episode. See you next week.